Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Chris Cockerham had graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and he had a job. But he kept showing up on my campus at Apex High School. We all wondered, what's that guy doing here? Some said he was trying to relive something of his glory days. right? But he had never attended Apex High School, so he wasn't even from our state. Others said he was just trying to pick up younger girls because he wasn't cool enough to get one his own age. But he was engaged already at that time to the girl he's now been married to for the last 16 years. What was he doing on our campus? He was working with a ministry called Young Life. And he was doing whatever it took to build relationships with students that were strong enough to carry the weight of the gospel message. And make no mistake about it, the message of the gospel is heavy. It's not something that shows up on the trite television shows that fill our primetime airwaves, that's for sure. It's not a great conversation starter, it's more like a conversation killer. In fact, when people find out that I work at a church, they usually head to the nearest exit for fear that I'm going to try to convert them in five minutes or less. It's funny, I never had that problem when I was just a simple government contract employee. Right? I'm the same guy, I say the same things, but when you attach pastor to the title, all of a sudden people get real fidgety. But the gospel is heavy. But the gospel is also Glorious. To say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified for the forgiveness of sins and was raised to the right hand of God the Father, where He calls the world to faithful allegiance, is a statement that is full of glorious truth. Perhaps that's why the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which means heavy. The gospel is a heavy and glorious message that makes an infinite and eternal difference in the lives of all who embrace it. But it also makes an infinite and eternal difference in the lives of all who reject it. Chris Cockrum was on my campus subjecting himself to sneers, giving up his free time, spending his own money on gas and food and not very exciting junior varsity sporting events because he was willing to do whatever it took to introduce people to Jesus Christ. He knew the kabod, the glorious weight of the gospel. And he knew that it mattered more than anything to which he could give his time, his energy, or his money. It's because of his continued presence and investment in my life that I responded to his invitation to attend the fall retreat when I was a senior in high school. 
And it was there that I was introduced to Jesus Christ and decided to follow Him. It's just like the pop strategy that Brian unpacked for us last Sunday. Identify, invest, invite, introduce, instruct. It works. Where did Chris Cockrum learn that from? Where did he learn that what he was doing was worth the cost? Where did he learn to build a relationship that was strong enough to carry the weight of the gospel? I guess you could say that he learned it from the Apostle Paul who took it upon himself to take the gospel message to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, or as we might call them today, the unchurched people. It was Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Listen to that. Win as many as possible. All things to all people, by all possible means. Do you get the impression that Paul is willing to do whatever it takes? Why does he become like a Jew to win them to Christ? Why does he become like one under the law to win them to Christ? Why does he become like those who don't have the law to win them to Christ? Why does he become like the weak to win them to Christ? Five times in verses 19 to 21... Paul describes his aim as winning. But then in verse 22, he changes the verb. Given the way he's been talking, you would expect him to say, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. That's what you would expect him to say. He's already said it five times. But he doesn't say that. The verb he uses is not win. The verb he uses is save. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And so apparently, in Paul's mind, winning is synonymous with helping people get saved. 
It's like you can almost picture him showing up after a long day of making tents. He's traveled quite a distance to be here. He's not a very good looking guy. He's not a very eloquent speaker. But he teaches his heart out about how Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf so that what matters is not whether you are Jew or Gentile, but whether or not you are in Christ. And when he finishes, you approach him. You want to you ask him for a little bit of his time just to clarify some of the things that he said. It was really revolutionary stuff, if it's true. And after a little give and take, you are overcome with the goodness of God and you put your faith in Christ. You confess Him as Lord. And I can just imagine Paul at that point smiling and saying, Winning! He's got a target that he is aiming at. He wants to see as many people as possible put their faith in Christ, and he will do whatever it takes to make it happen. His message stays the same, but the methods that he is willing to use are always changing, depending on whatever it takes to reach the people who are around him. He will do whatever it takes because it is that important. There are 4,625 people that live in Palmetto. There are 13,363 people that live in Fairburn. There are 2,229 people that live in Chattahoochee Hills. There are 19,503 people that live in Sharpsburg. There are 33,725 people that live in Noonan. And that's a lot of people. And even though there are a lot of churches around here, I don't know of one single church that can accommodate that many people. So what would the church be like if we followed Paul's example on this? And I'm not talking about the church in general. We like to do that a lot. I'm talking about right here. Particular. This church. Our church. Palmetto Baptist Church. What would Palmetto Baptist Church look like if we wanted, really wanted, to see as many people as possible put their faith in Christ? And what would it look like if we were willing, right? really willing, not paying lip service to it, really willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen? I have a few thoughts about what that might look like. I'd like to share them. The first thing that I think we would see is people around here praying bold prayers. 
I don't know what your prayer life is like, but you do. Are you praying for God to do big things here? Are you praying for God to change the heart of that friend or family member who doesn't care anything about the things of God? I had loaded up my car in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was headed off to seminary. And as I was driving, I saw a bumper sticker that said, Prayer changes things. And it was a two-lane road, and I couldn't pass the old lady. And so... (laughs) So I had to sit there and think about that. Prayer changes things. Does it? Really? Doesn't God already know the situation, what's going to happen, what He's going to do? And if God already knows all that, then how is my prayer really going to change anything? And so I figured, no. No. Prayer doesn't really change anything. And so I stopped praying. Why should I pray? It doesn't change anything. A few months later, I picked up a book of prayers in the local bookstore. I figured I ought to give it a try. After all, I was a seminary student. Probably should pray, at least just because. And I will never forget it. Day number two of the prayers said to pray for unsaved family members. And I was there in my, my little rented bedroom and I prayed for my brother to come to faith in Christ. Now my brother was extremely antagonistic toward the Christian faith. Right. I remember he called me one Friday night shortly after Kristen and I started dating. He said, hey loser, what are you doing? Brotherly love. And I said, well, I just picked Kristen up. We're going to go hang out for a little while. To which he replied, oh, oh, I guess you guys are going to a prayer meeting or something like that. Mm, good fun. Those are the kind of comments that came my way over and over and over from this guy. I had never really cried out to God with a bold prayer to save Him. I just assumed He wouldn't come around. But there I was praying for Him, and the next thing I knew, I was down on my knees, and then I was down on my face in tears, crying out to God for my brother's salvation. And I got up thinking, what was that about? Gosh, get yourself together. And you know what? A few months later, he came up on a Saturday morning to help me move into a new apartment. And that meant he had to come to church with me on Sunday morning. And when he left the church that Sunday morning... He was in tears. 
He said he had never experienced anything like that before. He came back the next Sunday. A three-hour drive one way, six hours round trip just to get to church. Non-Christian at this point. That Sunday morning, he became a Christian. Prayer changes things. I believe that. So pray bold prayers. Second thing I think you would see around here is people serving with passion. There is a difference in serving to fill a spot, which is sometimes necessary, by the way. Sometimes we just need somebody to step up and do something. But there is a difference between doing that and serving because you know that God has called you and equipped you to be in that position for this season of your life. I've got a guy right now who's checking out the student ministry. Maybe he'll join us, maybe he won't. But I do appreciate the fact that he's checking it out, kicking the tires to see if he thinks God is leading him in that direction and whether or not he feels like he can make a difference doing that. And I think he would be a great addition to our ministry if he joins up. And I think that when he does, if he does, he will be a guy who serves with passion. That's what I want. It's exactly what I want. What are you passionate about? Do you love kids? Why not volunteer to minister in the nursery? By the way, the only reason that we adults can sit in here in any peace is because our kids are being well cared for by capable and passionate adults right now. It's the only reason why you're not here and just crying the whole time. I live with toddlers. Maybe you've got a friendly face and you really like to interact with people. We'd love to get you on the rotation, passing out bulletins on Sunday mornings as people are coming in. The sermon doesn't begin when the pastor gets up. The sermon begins in the parking lot when people pull in and figure, is this a place for me? Most people have already made up their mind whether or not they're coming back in the first ten minutes of being here. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, I'm just saying that to make an impact and reach new people, it's going to require people feeling good and excited and confident about what they're doing. Do you love interior decorating and design? Right? Talk to one of the ladies around here. Lisa Nixon comes to mind and ask how you can contribute to make the inside of this place look as good as it can. If you're going to serve, serve with passion. Number three, if we were willing, really willing to do whatever it takes for people to put their faith in Christ, the third thing I could see happening around here is people inviting their friends to church. The statistic is everywhere. I mean, it pains me to even say it, but it bears repeating. 80% of people 
who show up at a church for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, do so because they were invited by a friend that they trust. Think about how you found your way to Palmetto Baptist Church. You were invited by a person that you trust. Maybe for you it was your parent or grandparent, but I guarantee you somewhere along the way, whoever it was in your family that started attending this church did so because they were initially invited by a person that they trust. If you invite someone and they show up here on Sunday morning and they don't like what we've got going on, it doesn't break the relationship. It just means that they showed up here and they didn't like what we had going on. Right? Oh well, you can still hang out with them. (laughs) Nothing's changed. There's no harm in that. I have visited almost every church in this area to see what's going on. And I want to tell you that I think that the worship, the teaching, and the fellowship at this church is very good. Very good. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We have every reason to invite people to come and experience this church for themselves. Don't make the decision for them. Let them make it themselves. We're averaging right now around 160 people in this service. We're averaging around 145 people in the traditional service. And I I want us to shoot for 200 people in both this service and the traditional service. And given the population statistics that I shared earlier, I don't see any reason why that can't happen in the next six months. I can't, I tried. I can't come up with one reason, a good one anyway, as to why that cannot happen in the next six months. That's your goal. 200 people in this service. Not for our glory, but for God's glory. Get it straight. Okay? If you would extend an invitation, you would actually be surprised how many people would take you up on it. The last thing that I want to share is this. If we were really willing to do whatever it takes to reach as many people as possible, you would see this. You would see people giving till it hurts. People giving till it hurts. It is no secret that it costs money to keep the lights on in the building cool in the summer and warm in the winter. But reaching people in the 21st century goes a lot further than that. There's media There is sound. There is technology. There is quality. There's a new building just waiting to be built. 
And while we're on that, let me say this. I live down in Noonan in a little neighborhood called Stillwood Farms right next to the new hospital out there on Poplar. Every person, without exception, that I talk to about Palmetto Baptist Church knows us for one thing. Oh, y'all are the church with that sign out there on that piece of property. When's that going to happen? One hundred percent of the people that I talk with have that as their response. They don't even know that this uh, that th- that our current property is just a mile past it. They stopped there. The signs have been out there long enough. Part of doing whatever it takes to reach people is going to be moving into an updated facility where we don't tell parents of young kids to put their kids in the basement. I'm a dad of young kids. You should listen to me on this. It's not a good strategy. We will have better resources on a better piece of property that has greater visibility than the one that we're in right now. And hear this. This is all so that our ministry capacity will grow exponentially when we get to that spot. And yet, and I find this hard, very hard to believe, almost every person, this blows my mind, almost every person that I talk with around here sounds like Eeyore when it comes to the new building. Ha! The new property? Yeah, right. (laughs) New building? Not in my lifetime. Blows my mind. You might have been at this for 10 years, and you're tired and frustrated even talking about it, but some of us have not been around here that long, and we're excited and intrigued about the possibility of being a part of a church that has a long history and a bright future. If that doesn't get you revved up, don't ruin it for the rest of us. (laughs) The narrative surrounding the property and the building has got to change from negative to positive. It is something to be excited about, not a burden to complain about. Now, when I was was, uh, first uh, a Christian, when I first became a Christian... I met a man, and his name was Ray Martin. Ray Martin. His daughter was 16 years old, and she did not have a car. That was odd, because Ray Martin had a good-paying job, and where I'm from, everybody whose parents have a good-paying job gets a car when they turn 16. How come he didn't buy his daughter a car? Because he was willing to do whatever it took to reach people for Christ. He pledged that money, that car money, her car money. Pledged it and gave it to the church's building campaign and told his daughter she would have to wait until she was 18 to get a car. And she complained for a while. And she had to hitch a ride with friends for a couple of years But you know what? 
that church has doubled in size since they built a new building. They are winning. And Ray Martin taught me as a brand new Christian a very important lesson that sticks with me even to this day. It shapes the way I use finances. This lesson, I believe. When you believe that it matters, you will give till it hurts. When you believe that it matters, you will give till it hurts. Do you believe that it matters? Then give. If you're not ready to give till it hurts, then at least give something. If you don't think it really matters, then at least it's tax deductible. So those are the things that I see happening at this church. If we're willing to do whatever it takes, we will pray bold prayers. We will serve with passion. We will invite our friends and we will give till it hurts. If Chris Cockrum hadn't done whatever it took to reach high school students with the gospel, then I would not be here today. Instead, I would probably be where most guys my age are this morning, going to Dunkin' Donuts, mowing the grass, and getting ready to watch NFL playoffs. That's where most of my peers are. And they're doing that because while plenty of churches are willing to say whatever it takes, they never get around to actually doing whatever it takes. But I promise you that when those guys, that young husband, that young father, when those guys lay their heads on the pillow at night, not every night, but some nights, they're thinking, if only there was something more to life than this. And there is. Will we do whatever it takes to help them see it? Let's pray. God, you know this is not a game. Eternity hangs in the balance for so many. Help us to do these things. We can't do them on our own, and so we look to You. I pray this morning that we, as individuals and as a church, would be inspired and energized to follow the example of Paul, doing whatever it takes to see people saved. It's for the sake of the gospel and in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.